Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to Smart Muslimer podcast. Inshallah, if you enjoy this podcast, then please subscribe and tell your friends and family about the podcast as well. Inshallah, you can also sign up to my newsletter if you go to www.smartmuslima.com and Inshallah, if you would like to... Um Mainstream media outlets do not cater for the needs of you as a Muslim. There are topics which they will completely ignore, for example, the hijab ban that is happening in India, the Islamophobia that Muslim women all over in the West are facing. They don't even report Palestine or Syria in a balanced manner. So through my podcast and my YouTube channel, I discuss the topics specifically related to Muslim women that Muslim media sometimes as well, particular mainstream popular culture will not discuss. Topics like critiquing feminism, topics such as the number of hijab bans, niqab bans that are happening in India, in France, in Canada. These are challenges that Muslim women are facing and I'm going to keep continuing to shine a light on these topics. So inshallah, I would love your help and support in continuing to create this content for Muslim women, which is challenging the very negative Islamophobic narrative that we are being given. I think as a Muslim creator, we should be producing content that is Islamic, that is well-researched and provides hope to Muslim women and men that as Muslims, when we see an evil, we can change it with our hand, we can speak about it, or we can hate it in our heart. And I think some of us are able to create videos and podcasts and others who are not able to do that, like yourself, you can support that work as well and gain in the reward, inshallah, by contributing and supporting to my Patreon page. The link is in the description below. Inshallah, may Allah reward you and please do the well for all the Muslims around the world that we can continue to challenge this Islamophobic narrative. But always remember that Allah is with the righteous. Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to Smart Muslim Podcast. I'm your host, Farhat Amin. Uh, inshallah, today we are discussing um, Khalid Husseini and his books. And I have Hanan Irfan with me. She's an engineer 
an independent writer and teacher from India, and her work centers around Muslim politics and history. So I got in touch with Hanan because I read a really detailed post that she wrote on Instagram regarding why Khalid Hosseini's books are so problematic. And um, with everything that's going on in Afghanistan, I thought I learned a lot from what she was saying. And I just, so I invited her to come on uh, to share her expertise on this subject. Um, so, Asalaamu Alaikum, Hanan, how are you? Uh, wa Alaikum Asalaam, Farhad. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me here. And I'm looking forward to talking to you. Okay, Alhamdulillah. So, let's let's begin straight away then. So, why do you, what's wrong with Khalid Hosseini's books? So, uh, and in particular, I know that he's written two, The Kite Runner and um, A Thousand Splendid Sons. I've actually read both of them, but could, well, let you know, let's first, who is Khalid Husseini? For if the listeners haven't heard of him. It's very improbable that the listeners haven't heard of him because he's probably the most popular Afghan um, around the globe. It's not just the West audience. Everybody, even in third world countries, everybody knows of Khalid Husseini. But in case um, somebody doesn't know, he is an Afghan-American novelist, and the American bit is very important over here because it's only the Afghan bit that's generally highlighted um, in his bio. Uh, it's only the Afghan bit that is generally highlighted in his biography. So uh, what's important to note is that Khalid Hussaini's books are marketed as a legitimate voice of Afghanistan. Why? Only because he's an Afghan. But what many people do not know is that Khalid Hussaini has spent a very little time of his life in Afghanistan. He uh, moved out of Afghanistan even before the Soviet invasion. And the uh, next time that he ever came back only for a visit was in 2003, which was a huge gap. Not only the Soviet had invaded, left by then, but also U.S. had invaded by then. So, so Khalid Hussaini's gaze and narrative is closer to a Western gaze and narrative than an Afghan gaze. So his first book, The Kite Runner, could you just give us a, a quick um, summary of the plot? So the first book that he wrote was Kite Runner, and it was published around 2003. So this book generally uh, focused on this friendship between two boys, and it's very important to note the identity of these two boys. So Hassan is a Hazara boy and Amir is the Pashtun boy. And Amir holds significant privilege over um, Hassan in their interpersonal relationship as well. So what Khalid Hussaini is doing that uh, with the help of his characters, he's trying to paint a picture of the Afghan society as a whole. The Pashtun community is embodied via Amir and the Hazara community is embodied via Hassan. And he tries to show how the Pashtun people are oppressive and um, how they are traitors or betraying to the other communities and even an interpersonal friendship. Apart from, so there are two evils in his book, the theme of two evils. The first one is introduced at the very beginning, which is this ethnic strife between Pashtun and Hazar and other communities. And then the second is the Soviet invasion. So throughout the book, um, there is a theme of cursing the Soviet and cursing the Russians and the debacle that they have left in Afghanistan after their intervention. So it is very peculiar because this book was published in 2003 and we know that by the, it was two years after U.S. invasion itself. So it's not like the world is unaware of U.S. invasion. It's not like Khalid Hussein himself is unaware of uh, U.S. intervention in Afghanistan. But he chooses to release a book 
that completely ignores the role of United States, not just in this invasion, but also pre-invasion role in Afghanistan. So funnily, no mention of uh, United States is made, made throughout the book. All he mentions is ethnic strife and obviously Soviet. And these two things are very easy to be digested for the Western audience. Who is he writing for? He's writing specifically for the Western audience. And obviously, as Western audience, they're already um, fed with enough propaganda about the Soviets. Maybe true, perhaps not true. That's a different topic altogether. And the second thing is this building, this picture of an ethnic strife, where you are claiming that the entire trouble of Afghanistan's, uh, Afghanistan society is the ethnic problem, that these people are so troubled among themselves that they cannot be dealt with uh, in a civilized manner, that democracy cannot function like in uh, civilized countries of the West. So the crux of the issue is the Afghan, Afghan society itself, it's the Afghan culture itself. It's a very reductionist state that he gives again and again, and absolving USA of its complete role in Afghanistan's politics. Mm -hmm. And so does Khalid Hosseini have any connections to, uh, you know, the American government or because it because his his um, the storyline and the message is so similar to it aligns with what the US were saying. So have you found that is there any connection that he had with the American government? That's uh, that's an excellent point. Exactly. Um, not just is a storyline following the narrative of the, uh, of the US government, but he is explicitly supported by the US government itself. Um, after the Kaitana was adapted uh, into a movie by the Hollywood, and we all know Hollywood is the propaganda arm of the US government. So Khaldasani was invited by George Bush and Laura Bush to attend a screening for the movie in White House, and where Laura Bush uh, went live and said that how great of a book this was, and this was largely covered by the press. And uh, um, there was also this uh, 19th Afghan ambassador to the U.S. And he asked the Americans, he was explicitly asking the Americans to read uh, Khalid Hussaini's works to better understand the Afghan society. That is very peculiar that um, uh, somebody in the government, somebody in the bureaucracy is asking people to read a work of fiction to understand something so complicated and history of uh, politics and um, misgovernance. Not only that, Khalid Hussaini was also recognized by UN High Commissioner for Refugees as a, hum as a humanitarian of the year. And that is very peculiar, this term humanitarian itself, which Khalid Hussaini holds on to so tight. Even some of his social media bio mentioned the term humanitarian. And by now, we, everybody knows that uh, humanitarianism is perhaps the biggest fraud in international politics. We had the white, man, white man's burden of the British. We've also seen mission civilizations of the French. And now we have this humanitarian intervention with which Western powers justify the invasion and intervention of a third world country. Not only that, I would say the very topic, the Kite Runner, the very title of his book, The Kite Runner, is very telling of his alliances with uh, US government. If you remember the very infamous radio address of Laura Bush before US uh, struck Afghanistan, so in that radio address, she talks about a number of things, which includes the freedom to wear skirts and nail polish for women and um, the freedom to fly kites. So when I went to her speech, I was very surprised that she's talking about a country that has been torn by war for decades. And the only thing she chooses to mention 
are these a very tiny minuscule things such as skirts and nail polish and flying kites and in one subsequent interview hamid husaini himself says that he has fond memories of flying kites in afghanistan when he was a kid and he can and he's in this belief that people cannot fly kites anymore and that's what he based his entire novel on so i don't think it's a coincidence that this very tiny thing that you are noticing in a war torn country you're not no- noticing the starvation you're not noticing the heavily mined country you're not no- noticing the poverty the destruction loss of lives what you're noting and noticing is uh, flying kites and this tiny thing is being noted by laura bush and hyde sani both and a huge deal is being made, being made out of it and almost everybody when you say the kite and everybody thinks of afghanistan and how pitiable it must be to not be able to fly kites instead of thinking how pitiable it must be to live under us occupation and us intervention yes yes it's it's so interesting that i think as when we think of books we don't think of them as a, uh, as a tool for propaganda like you said hollywood we know uh, yep that's definitely it's 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 so obvious what they're trying to do but with books we think it was no it's an art and it's and and again um many people would say well, i've read both the books khalid husaini is a very good writer no one can take that away from him and the fact that he's muslim then as well as muslims we then are more we are less critical of a muslim writer who is writing about our problems and our issues in a way we we're so deprived of seeing ourselves written about as characters that we're like we we like we we're, we're just not critical enough we we're, we're too we make too many excuses that i know i used to definitely do that um and so so now moving on to his second book then so what was the what's the uh, plot of that and what's the message that you found coming out of that book so i definitely agree with you where you said that he's a brilliant writer nobody can take that away from him and i think that's a reason why his books are so popular because his writing is so splendid it's definitely very moving it tends to form a trauma bond with the readers themselves i think anybody who i have discussed this any with uh, one thing they always mention is that how much they have cried with the book how much they have wept reading the story and i myself as a teenager when i read his books um, i was left in in tears after reading both his books um, uh, the kaitana and thousand candles sons so i think this is very intentional as well when you are crying with a book you tend to associate with it on a very intimate very personal level so you tend to also get very defensive when somebody criticizes it so uh, yeah i think that was a really good point that you made um uh, coming to uh his second book which was the thousands and the chance again uh, i think this the political context is very very important in this book as well as well as the timing this book was published in 2007 which was i think a four year gap from his first book itself now a huge contrast between his first book and the second book is that which he himself mentions is that um the first book focused on male relationships and male bonds and in the second book he wanted to focus more on women and he wanted to show a different face of afghanistan that those are his actual words a different face of afghanistan so um why exactly did he choose uh, women instead of focusing on other aspects why was it that he was focusing on women writing this he answers himself in one of his interviews and khaldi uh, saini says that he went back to afghanistan in 2003 so the first time he's going back to afghanistan after leaving it as a kid is in 2003 and he said that the one thing that struck him the most was uh, these burqa clad women begging for change so 
I found this framing of sentence very peculiar. That when he, the only thing that is striking him in a war-torn country is not the destruction around him, is not the helplessness of people. What is striking him is Burka-clad women, and that he is assuming that these women are begging for change from the Burka. That these women are not begging for change from war, not from destruction, not from invasion. The thing that he notices is that these women are begging for for freedom from the burqa, and yet again, this falls very much in line with the U.S. propaganda itself. That they have reduced the experiences of the Muslim population, not just in Afghanistan but everywhere, to very private, very intimate experiences where. As if we do not understand how politics affects our life, that these women are not bothered by the larger politics of war, but are bothered by their clothing, and this entire story revolves around the victimhood of women by two forces, uh, one being uh, the Taliban itself, which is shown to be evil due to one uh, ethnicity and second Islam itself. So they are shown as evil because they are Pashtun, and all Pashtuns are. Evil, according to Hussaini's logic, and Pashtuns are evil because they are Muslim. Now, this is very important. Why Afghanistan is uh, sorry? Now, this is very important. Why Hussaini is now taking over a more global outlook, more global understanding of strife. Earlier, it was just ethnic strife in Afghanistan. Now, it is becoming more global, and it is assuming the problem is assuming uh, into the shape of Islam itself. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot; we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash-switch. Forty-five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot; we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash-switch. Forty-five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, I think it is, and just uh, he's a very smart writer, so he never sees any of this very explicitly. So if you remember, the evil, the antagonist of the book was this Pashtun man called Rashid, who was uh, the husband of Laila and Maryam, and this man is the Pashtun, obviously. So, and what one thing I noticed was a very, um, you know, critical. Was that this man is shown to be oppressive even before Taliban takes over? So this man is shown to be oppressive by virtue of being a Muslim. He is shown as a very rigid follower of Islam, and he is shown as forcing the burqa on his wives even before Taliban imposes it. So Khalidani is picturing it as this: the problem lies in the faith itself. The problem is not just in one government. The problem is not just in one group of people. It's in the faith itself. It's in the people itself. Now, why is this faith being attacked? Because war and terror has moved beyond Afghanistan. In 2003 itself, they have attacked uh, Iraq. 
so war and terror has itself assumed global proportions so it needs to be justified on global proportions and islam being a global uh, global religion and islam being the common factor in all of these countries where us us has intervened it was necessary to to build this base of vilifying islam itself one more i would just like like to interject one more point was uh, where rashid forces himself onto one of his wife and um, he says that he gives the reason that she need not be ashamed of this because the prophet and his wife used to do this all the time so i think this is very preposterous that you are depicting um, a cruel a brutal man uh, brutalizing his wife and he is justifying it not in the name of any government not in the name of taliban or anyone but in the name of islam itself so i think the larger uh, theme was that the in in his first book the larger theme was that the ethnicity of afghan people is the problem in the second book the larger theme is that muslim women not just afghans afghan women muslim women are oppressed because of islam itself which needs to be civilized according to western standards yeah yeah it's this is it now it's interesting um that i know so many muslim women who um i'm just thinking of bookstagram accounts but even before you know before instagram came along this was a, his books were um they were loved by non muslims but muslim women everyone would read it and um and i think especially with the thousand splendid sons like i remember honestly reading it and you relate and empathize with the female characters and if there was any think that your husband or your father had done it's like you would think of that that yeah my dad did that or my yeah i know i know a muslim husband who behaves like that and it was that and you end up obvious by the time you finish the book you end this you have a hatred of muslim men even if it then subsides after you finished but that's definitely the effect of that book and what it, and it de, it's so dehumanized the men of afghanistan that no wonder you know the connections you're making about the war on terror and american propaganda it then fits in so nicely with justifying war and bombing and and invasion and um that that's what i really liked about your instagram post that it really opened my eyes up to this isn't just a benign book about afghanistan and women and men it's much more than that and i think as most i think this is why i wanted to do this podcast just to open up like for the audience if they've read the book and they'd loved it it's to make us all be aware there's there's more at play here we have to be more intelligent as muslims uh, i definitely agree uh, what husaini is trying to do with his books is trying to locate the crux of the problem everybody knows that there's there's something going on in afghanistan um the common uh, western first western uh, layman would know that yeah something is going on in afghanistan but how does one explain it to them what is exactly going on and um us any country for that matter needs the support of um the population for carrying out a war uh, there was a very telling revelation by the wikileaks in 2010 where this this uh, document talked about how the cia was maneuvering pr strategies to show up support for its afghan war in uh, western europe so how were like the people of germany and the people of france they were being convinced there were so, so several bullet notes that were written that okay we can convince people um due to for example giving the justification of refugees that they need um our help 
or maybe we can convince people with the help of uh, depicting the plight of Afghan women. So uh, you're right about that, that even before Instagram came or even before any of this came, this uh, propaganda has always been there, especially since the 1990s itself. The uh, US popular market, popular media market has been saturated with stories of abuse, and not just Hollywood, even though Hollywood has had to play a huge role in this. Um, and several movie stars would rallied behind, you know, um, the invasion of Afghanistan. But even uh, even in, in terms of books, uh, we have we are aware of I think Ayan Hesriyali. Then there are also several other prominent books, not just Hakani, several prominent books like uh, the Sultana series have been asked a lot by um, this particular book, Reading Lolita and Tehran. So these the common factor in all of these books are that even though they are um, based in different countries, some one is based in Iran, some some other is based in you know, some Nordic African countries, one is based in Afghanistan, something like that. But the common feature that binds all of these books is the fact that they are uh, given a backdrop of Muslim or Islamic societies. So uh, for a lay person in the United States, they do not know the difference between the cultures of Afghanistan or say uh, the culture in Somalia. What they relate and what these books are intentionally trying to do is to pre present a picture that no matter where the country, no matter what the situation, everybody is afflicted by the problem of Islam itself. So I think uh, this problem this uh, problem has been very well addressed by uh, Leela Abulokot, who has done extensive work on Muslim women, and she addresses this part, um, how the, these uh, popular media, these books have uh, built this idea of Muslim women need saving and how the storyline in these books often have um, these unplugged Muslim heroines who are begging the Western world to come and free them and how the evil is generally the Muslim man as we have, um, just, I just spoke about this, how the Muslim men are routinely dehumanized but uh, it's not patriarchy and it's not the gender that is being dehumanized. It's not the gender that is being villainized. It's the Muslim aspect that is being villainized uh, of Muslim men. Because uh, in all of these movies, it is seen, in all of these books, it is seen that it is not the Western man who is ever villainized. In fact, in some of these books, it is often seen that um, the women are happier or are in fact beseeching uh, the Western audience to take note of their situation or to free them. Even in Hosseini's uh, book, the, in the very first book itself, the happy ending is denoted only when his family, Amir's family, moves back to America. As long as they are in Afghanistan, they do not know peace. Once they move back to the United States, they are in peace and everything seems to fall back into place. So I think even though these things are not said very explicitly, they form a psychological backdrop into the minds of the readers. And it forms a psychological backdrop about the politics of these places and some preconceived notions about not just these countries, but also these people. And especially uh, against Islam as a barbaric religion, as a barbaric practice from which people are running away. And since it is a bit tricky to say these things explicitly, I think that's the reason why um, the US uh, has taken the route of fiction or Hollywood or magazines, stuff like that, to give an idea why why they need to bomb these countries. Like, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's a very it, they, they have to be more um 
cunning and uh, you know the ex explicit propaganda is very obvious but the you know kind of this the very subtle version we don't so many of us we don't we miss it that that's the thing and alhamdulillah i think one of the main um take home messages that from what you're saying is that as muslims we again we have to you know rather than like let's not jump on the next whatever popular book is out there which is um, especially, I think, you know, as Muslim women, if the, the, the book is supposed to be pro-women and it's anti-men, but and so therefore we we accept it. But if um we like you said, it's actually not, it's not just anti-men, it's anti-Islam. And let's not fall into the trap of doing the publicity for these these types of books by putting it on our Instagram pages and sharing it and and writing, you know, like um you know, giving it five out of five on a book review. I think that's the thing that is very troubling when Muslims completely miss the undercurrent of um, Islamophobia that's in these books. Um, but so Hannah Mashallah, do you have that? So your Instagram page, so if sisters would like to read your, you know, your musings, what's the, what's your Instagram handle? Um, so my Instagram handle is based on book reviews, but uh, what I tend to do is mostly focus on books that talk about Muslim issues and present a proper picture of our politics. And even though I feel like most of our bookstagram is saturated with a lot of fiction work, so I tend to focus more on non-fiction work, because even though fiction is good, fiction um, cannot completely depict the realities especially complex realities such as politics and history. So I focus more on non-fiction work. And then I, whenever I do read fiction, I try to relate it, how this is falling into the place of the political narrative and the political subtext. And that is what I try to do with Hal Hussein's work. And I, I understand, I understand why people got so defensive. Because I would have been defensive had I been a teenager and somebody had told me that Hal Hussein is problematic. I would have been defensive. But it is important to understand how propaganda works. Uh, I think uh, propaganda is often very subtle. And it is very important, even uh, like you made the point that even Muslim women would defend Khalid So I think I'm not an exception to that. I would also defend Khalid Hussaini. And um, I'm, I'm not saying that there are no problems in Muslim communities. There's definitely patriarchy and we need to talk about it. Yes. And uh, there's definitely multi-layered oppression. There, there's a lot of problems in Muslim communities. But the difference is that we tend to look at the problem and find the solution uh, very objectively. We see patriarchy and uh, we try to handle where is this arising from? It is, uh, is it because of uh, your education? Is it because of your background? Is, is it coming from culture? But for the West, it is very reductionist. It is a very simplified. They do not try to see the intersection of our identities. They do not try to understand our history. They do not try to understand our background, our culture, anything. Yes. What they think is that, oh, this problem in Muslim society exists, must be because of Islam. Any problem, any and every problem is attributed to Islam. So I think that is the subtext that we need to dig up. Uh, Hannah, Jazakallah khair for your time. It's been a real pleasure speaking to you. And like I said, I'd love to do it again, inshallah. Thank you so much, Farhat. It was amazing speaking to you. And thank you so much for the opportunity. And um, I'd like to be back with you. Inshallah. Okay then, take care. Asalaamu As Alaikum.
Inshallah, if you found this podcast useful, please leave a review so others can find out about it. Currently, this podcast is a one-man band. I do produce and do everything on my own. But unfortunately, due to health issues, I'm going to have to reduce the frequency of the episodes that I'm creating. So I really do need to hire some people to help me to produce the podcast and to really market it as well. Now, inshallah, you can help me and support me by doing dua, inshallah, for my health. And secondly, by donating. You can do that via the link in the podcast notes and also on my link tree bio, which is farhatameen underscore UK. It's on my Instagram bio as well. Your donations will help me cover production and overhead course, and you'll be part of this amazing work, helping me to grow the Smart Muslim podcast to another level so that we can reach more people educating and sharing this beautiful deen, Islam. I'm tremendously honoured and blessed to have a community of people who value what I do. So again, thank you so much for your du'as, reviews and donations. Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y dot And discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.